Welcome to the Sandhills Podcast. My name is Pastor John. I am so excited that you're joining us today. We've got an amazing conversation uh, with Pastor Malcolm where we're going to be diving in to racial relations in the United States and what the American church does with that, how we play a part in that. This is going to be part one of a two-part series. We had an amazing conversation. It was a long conversation. It's a needed conversation, and it's a conversation we hope you'll take the time to listen to all the way through with both parts. So here's part one. We hope you enjoy it. Like, subscribe, share it. These are conversations that should be and need to be heard, and we look forward to getting to interact with you more on it. Welcome back to the Sandhills Podcast. My name is Pastor John. I'm joined by Pastor Malcolm today. Hey, what's up, brother? How's it going, Pastor? It's a good day. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I'm excited to be here. Especially in light of what happened on Capitol Hill. I think this yeah. will be a good conversation that is relevant. It's needed. It's the whole reason we made this podcast, to be able to address things yeah. relevantly as they're happening and quickly. So, well, It's a big conversation. It's a big conversation, but let's... let's Try to jump in a little bit and tackle it. Let's do it. So the first question, first question I had for you, what's been your perspective of 2020 from a racial point of view? It's been a tough year. What's your perspective? Yeah. So you got to look at it this way. This is the way I kind of put it in context. Um, you had riots in the 60s. Um, then you had the L.A. riots in the 90s. Um, you've had issues um, in Michigan, and then, you know, with the murder of George Floyd. So riots, have, it's, it's a part of this country. So with all that going on, 2020 has really ripped the covers off of what we already knew existed. Hmm. But sometimes we don't want to believe it exists. Right. And so the issue of racism, oppression, um, mistreatment uh, of people of the darker hue who are Americans mm -hmm. has been going on in this country for a long time. It's just 2020 allowed us to see it in, in, in HD mm. um, where, you know, you, I've never seen somebody get murdered in real time. Right. Um, and so you have George Floyd that died not by a tree, but by a knee. Mm. And so, um, it's really kind of, it's been another awakening, almost like the, another great awakening in this right. country again. And I think it may be a time where God is trying to remind us, look, this is, this is the mess that you've created. And so um, yeah, I'm still optimistic. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Absolutely. And so, uh, and now as we move forward to 2021, the veil is just completely ripped. Mm-hmm. Um, people are, um, they have become what they hate. Mm -hmm. And so you have people on both ends of the spectrum, whether you're on the left or, or the right, acting in such a way um, that goes against the very, I guess, essence of what this country uh, should be. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, for me, as I think about it, um, it makes me have to figure out what am I going to do with my children and teach them as they grow up in this world because this this world you think is gray by now because everybody is a mixing pot, it's a melting pot of cultures, uh, but there's always stark reminders that there are different Americas in America. So you have the black America, the white America, 
the brown Latino America, the Asian America, um, and, and, but yet there's really just one America. But we're always reminded that, no, there's more. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that's what 2020 has really shown um, and that it impacts everybody. It doesn't matter uh, your socioeconomic background. Um, you know, there's a there's a system of, of of police brutality in place, and there's some things there, and there's systemic racism mm-hmm. that no matter who you are, um, 2020 shown me that you have whites that want to be better than whites, blacks want to be better than blacks. It's we've seen the height of sin bubble up in 2020. Absolutely, and that's that's been something I've seen so much is this idea of we've we've propped up our own our own power mm-hmm. we've relied so much on our on our own wisdom our own perceived wisdom our own knowledge we've pushed uh structures of power that we created and believed in versus relying on christ mm-hmm. to be king mm-hmm. and we're, and we look at the, the veil being torn right because when i was a kid growing up i remember thinking i was like oh like racism was something i learned about in history mm-hmm. It's it's done. It's history. Mm-hmm. It's not happening anymore. I wasn't taught that these are still things you got to look out for, right? And 2020 showed us it's still going on. Yeah, It's still happening. And if you're not looking out for it, it's going to keep festering. Yeah. It's going to keep growing and spreading. And you're so right with that idea of with this veil being torn, we can all see it now. Yeah. And the question is, are we going to keep going to doctors for second opinions until we get one that sounds like what we want to hear? Mm, or are yeah. we going to go to a doctor and say, hey, it's going to hurt, but I need help. Right. I need help. And then that's that's where we get into, I mean, this is beautiful. The great physician, literally, Christ's coming to heal us mm-hmm. and to, to bring peace and to build the bridges and that we're called to be that mm-hmm. as Christians, to, to recognize the pain yeah. and to help bring a solution in the name of Christ, yeah. you know, and that's, that's a huge thing. And so I was wondering, uh, you're talking about, you know, what do you get to tell your kids? What, what do I tell my kids? What, what, where does the family dynamic come into this? How does that play in? I mean, the family dynamic is huge um, because things are learned, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and so we talked about it, you know, off camera, this idea that you've had, you know, parents whose their parents and their, their great, great grandparents may have been, um, affiliated with the, the clan or, you know, mm-hmm. just things of that nature. So I think the family structure is, is huge um, in dealing with this issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the, this idea of, uh, in the Old Testament where God is telling the people, you know, teach what I'm telling you to every generation mm. um, because it's important. Because when generations get further and further, farther and farther removed from the truth, they forget who they are. They start doing things according to their own will, according to their own desires. And so I think um, it's important. The, the, the issue with that, though, is, is deep because the parent structure in this country uh, for, I, I hate using the word black and brown people. Hmm. Um, we could talk about that later, or people of color, because we used to say colored people, so I don't know the difference um, right. when you just invert the words. Um, but the history is, so when you had Africans brought to this country, you had families literally torn apart. Mm-hmm. And so you had young men growing up, and their father's not there. 
So they're not taught certain things. And so then you have another family structure that's highly in place, but that's taught that they're superior over mm. another group of people. The issue with sin is that, and I said this earlier, you know, talking about whites want to be better than whites and blacks want to be better than blacks, is because our sin nature means we, we all want to be better than somebody else. Mm. So it isn't just a group thing. It's not just the one people group wants to be better. All of us naturally mm-hmm. want to oppress and be in power over somebody else. All of us naturally want to shape and mold people into our image so mm. they will do our bidding and worship us. And so if I'm believing that and I begin to teach my kids and my children that you're better and then they do the same thing with their children, now I'm promoting an ideology mm-hmm. of white supremacy, right? And so, um, and, and, and that's the problem. So the issue, the major issue with the family is that it, it, slavery in terms of back in the day when you had, you know, women being raped, you know, men not being able to find work and being mistreated and, and being enslaved and stuff like that, all that was very heinous, mm-hmm. evil. What makes it even worse today is that the ideology that was there then still remains today. Mm-hmm. So the idea hasn't died. It just uh, played out different. It just plays out different. And that's, mm-hmm. I think that's the nature of sin. And so the family, it's up to the family now to now teach the next generation of what it truly means to love. But let me say this, it's, it's up to the Christian family hmm. because we can't expect people who are not Christians to do that um, in an unconditional loving kind of way. And so I think um, for Christian households, it's up to us to really promote what does it mean to love God and love your neighbor. And that spins off into what is the gospel? Who is Jesus? What, mm-hmm. you know, what is he really calling us to do? What does it mean to have eternal life? And not just life after this life, but living it right now. So I think the family is crucial. But when there's a piece of the family missing, mm-hmm. that family is already a detriment. Right. And that's not the same thing about moms that they can't do a good job. It's just that anytime you're trying to do your job and somebody else's job, you're going to be deficient someplace. Right. And so, um, and let me say this, it's in this the lack of uh, uh, a dual parent household or, or having both parents, a mom and a dad, isn't a, a, a black issue. It's an American mm-hmm. issue. Absolutely. Um, it's too often um, we compare stats and we'll say, well, you know, in white households, it's 30% single parents. In black households, it's 70% single, fa- single parents. Why is that? And I'm like, no. And they'll say, but in Asian households, it's 20%. I'm like, you just, you just compared a whole nationality mm-hmm. to two different subgroups within American culture. So it should be 70 plus 30 is 100. Divide that by two is 50. 50% of American families are single-parent households. Mm-hmm. That's an American issue. And so if that is degraded already... What is being taught to the children? Mm-hmm. And who's doing the teaching? And who's doing the teaching? And oftentimes Absolutely. it's culture. Culture is teaching the kids because both parents aren't there. And one parent is hard enough to do it, let alone, you know, provide for their children. And so I think the family's huge. Uh, Absolutely. To fix it, yeah. And that comes into the, the perspective when I was volunteering here with our youth group. The big thing that we talk about is partnering with parents because we have the opportunity to influence the kids 
right? But we, we can't do a parent's job for them. But we can help influence what's going on versus just letting culture run rampant with it. Right. Right? Because you see a culture that led to on one side allow the, the storming of our capital, mm-hmm. right? You, that's that's culture pushing that. And on the other hand, you've got culture pushing narratives that destroy family and self. And the church's job, coming in and, and talking with parents, working with parents, influencing kids, and showing that culture isn't the thing that's going to define who we're going to be, but we're going to let Christ define who we're right. going to be and define our family dynamic and define right. our relationships with our family members and define outside of that. Then if you can have those conversations in your family and step out, then you it's easier to have those conversations with non-family members. Because right. family, I mean, this is the one that they know you the most and, and the worst at yeah. the same time. Yeah. They've seen both sides. Yeah. And it can be hard to have conversations because you're vulnerable to them. Yeah. They know you. They know what they could say. When you step out, and you have the difficult conversations in as much truth and love as you can bring to it from a Christian point of view and, and bring Christ into that, I think that that would then bleed out yeah. and, and affect more relationships outside of that. But it starts with the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think most, you know, the, you look at civilizations, man, when, when the family starts to erode, I mean, so goes the entire civilization. And... I think if if you have a family, uh, one that loves Jesus, they become better contributors to the community that they're in, to the city that they're in, Mm -hmm. to the county that that city's in, to the state that that, you know what I mean? And it just kind of escalates. And so I think family is huge. But I don't know, um, well, I do know, we don't don't give much attention to families. Mm -hmm. I mean... uh, you know, we let we let Netflix raise our children, and and I get it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you want to get away from the kids, you want some time alone, and but everything on YouTube and Netflix is not beneficial, right? You know, and so and and nowadays because of technology, kids are seeing things at an early age when they shouldn't be exposed to it. So you have kids not even able to be kids mm-hmm. because they're seeing so many things that they can't mentally process, right? And so. When my kids are trying to figure out, you know, I had I had a guy, I had a, my son came to me once, and he wanted to go play over um, uh, a friend's house, and mm-hmm. his friend's white, and I said, son, did, did you ask him? He's like, yeah, but he said, this is what he said, um, I can't come over and play because my parents won't appreciate you. That's what he told my son. Jeez. And so now my son is trying to process, why won't they appreciate me? What does that mean? Me? What yeah. does that mean? And so in that moment, I can either have the talk with him mm-hmm. at seven, at seven, or I chose the other route. Dude, you're just too handsome. They can't, they can't deal with all that, <laughs> right? But at some point, we have to have that conversation with our children that this world that they think is all nice and everybody's mm-hmm. going to love you and no. It's not like that. But here you have this this little white kid telling him, I want you to come over, but my parents won't appreciate you. Mm-hmm. So the kid may want that kind of community. Right. But because of his parents, he can't have it. Right. And so now if he's seven and my son's seven, as this kid gets older, he's going to get more stuff poured into him. Mm-hmm. Would it be like, well, this is why you can't hang out 
with those people. Now, on the flip side, if I don't educate my son and talk to my son about loving people, loving your enemies, mm-hmm. you know, you know, bless those who curse you, you know, you know, uh, a kind word turns away wrath. If I don't pour that into him and he grows up potentially with hate in his heart. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that leads to further issues as he gets older, which means now he's going to project that hate onto other people who are white. And my mm-hmm. fear is that if I don't teach him, he'll project that on somebody who's white in an authority that has the ability to harm him. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily police officers. It could be a boss. It could be, any, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has to learn that, dude, you know, almost sticks and stones, break my bones, words never hurt me. Right. Like you can't let the words of that person hurt you. But, dude, that's, that's, that's life and death in the tongue, man. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the words we choose. So in that moment, you know, he said that, and my response was because you're too handsome. But I've had the conversation with my son to say, look, son, remember back when you, you know, had the, told me about the little boy? He was like, yeah. I was like, there are people that, that may not like you just because of the color of your skin. Hmm. Let's unpack that. Yeah. And he's like, dad, I don't understand it. So I can't unpack it with him totally right now because right. he won't be able to understand it. So I got to wait a couple of years. But that, again, goes back to that family dynamic. Hmm. And it goes back to that whole thing because I'm – I, you know, my first thought when he said, I was like, I don't understand it, but that's because I've got the Holy Spirit showing me that it's about peace and bringing together. But to someone who's not a believer and, and is pushing those narratives, right? Like, I can't believe it because it's a sin. Yeah. And that just going back to what you're talking about, where that, that desire to be in dominion over other people, right? And everyone's struggling with right. that as a human issue. That goes back to the whole yeah. thing is that. That's where it stems yep. from, is a, is, a, is a human problem. And I wanted to go back to what we were talking about with the kind of owning the family history. Mm-hmm. And what, we, what we're talking about there is that idea that when you become aware of the blind spots in your life, and you think, oh, okay, so I, I, I was struggling in this area. What caused me to think that way? What caused me to see that perspective? And you go, okay, so I, like you're saying, how was I raised? Mm-hmm. Who was pouring into me? What was pouring into me? And you trace that back and you keep going. You think, oh, well, then who was pouring into them? What was tracing into them? And you trace that line. I think it's hugely important to to own the family history in the sense of, you know what? Yeah. I can see areas where my grandparents failed. I can see areas where my parents failed. I can see areas where I failed. And I want to be aware of those. That's what we mean by that is that we, you should become aware of those blind spots so you can help prevent them in the future and that you can talk to your kids one day, you know, talk to my kids one day and be avoiding those and get continually. We talk yeah. about kind of that idea of generational sin where mm-hmm. it keeps getting worse and worse and worse because it keeps feeding itself. Yeah. Generational truth and peace and love as well in teaching that mm-hmm. from a biblical point of view. Yeah. I think that's hugely important because... Where I was having a conversation um, with a friend of mine, and her mom was in school when they were integrated. Mm. And I'm like, wait, your mom? Like, who I've met? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, but I learned about that in history class. Like, I also learned about Alexander the Great in history class, you know? And so that's my idea of history is that it's so far in the past, it's totally removed and it's totally done. But then you realize, I'm like, this was going on 
when my parents were alive? Right. What were they doing when this was happening? They were probably young, but then, okay, well, what was your family like during this time? And I think that's an important conversation to have now because this 2020 has revealed so much to us. I think it's also shown us that we should look back and say, okay, what, what was happening? And how can we move forward from that? Yeah. You know, and if they're doing gr- good things, celebrate it. Right. You know, absolutely celebrate it. But if they're doing hard things, bad things, acknowledge it and grow from it. Yeah. I think it's hugely important. And that starts with the family, looking at the family. And so uh, one of these next things that we wanted to talk about is, you know, we've talked a lot about America in general, you know, all Americans, mm-hmm. you know, as a people group. But American Christianity getting more specific as we've seen it. What are things that you perceive need to change in American Christianity in regards to racial racial reconciliation? Well, I think, let me say this. So it's funny. So that story with my son mm-hmm. and the little boy, I mean, the little boys, his parents are, are believers. That makes it, so, right? So that's a perfect segue. That's, like the, that's tough. The issue with the church, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I think... So the church has been complicit in this whole issue of racism in this country, mostly through silence Hmm. and not really addressing it. And I think part of that is because um, we have continuously preached a gospel that was just about salvation and getting into glory. Hmm. No matter what you're dealing with now, when when we all get to glory. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Like, that was it, Mm -hmm. right? And it's easy to preach that kind of gospel when you're not being oppressed and mistreated. Because you have no responsibility, right? That's just accept Jesus and everything's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. The truth is, everything's not all right, you know? Um, And so I think um, the role of the church now, we need to go back and begin to really think about what is the gospel, what are true gospel implications, Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, you think about this idea of, we always talk about eternal life. Right. And when you read the biblical text, the entire canon of scripture, you know, Jesus does talk about eternal life, but he talks more about how to deal with other people, like Mm -hmm. right now. Relationships. Right. And so when the Bible says, you know, you have eternal life, it doesn't say you'll get it. You have it, which means there's something about right now, right, mm-hmm. that God is saying, look, when you're in a relationship with me, I want you to not only love me, honor me, praise me, worship me, glorify me, but I want you to be um, extenders of that glory by doing what I would do. What is that? Loving people. Mm-hmm. Caring for the least, the lost, the left out, right? Uh, 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 loving your enemies. Right. And so that's when it says, you know, be holy for I am holy. Absolutely. So God's like, when you enter this relationship with me through my son, Christ, it's not just about life after this life. I want you to live life. As like I'm doing it, giving of yourself, you know, just not looking out for the needs of yourself, but looking out also for the needs of others. And I think we don't talk about that. Um, This idea of community. It's really, you know, I made a personal decision to accept Christ. I did this, I did this, I did this. Yeah, but there are also implications to the community around you. Absolutely. And so we have a a responsibility um, to preach 
the entire truth of the gospel, which means there's a, to me, there's a social and spiritual component to, to it. If you have too much of the spiritual, then you miss that social component of loving your neighbor. Right. If you have too much of the social, you miss that component of loving God. Right. So you got to have balance. Both. Yeah. That's a great commandment. Right. And so I think it's getting back to helping people become more literate when it comes to reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, a lot of people that aren't, they got it. They're not reading it. And I think we make these assumptions that when somebody gets saved, oh, they're, you know, they're reading the Bible, they're praying. And no, that's why we can't do this stuff by ourselves. We're, we're a body. Mm-hmm. And so I think the church, we got to look at, you know, what is the gospel? Yes, the centrality of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's through Christ we're saved by faith alone, through grace alone. Boom. Without that, there is no gospel. Mm-hmm. But then it extends beyond that, right? So you got that. I think also we got to start redefining terms. And this is why I go back to the, you know, we talk about people of color. The truth is, you know, you, you're beautiful. You have a beautiful color. You mm-hmm. know, I got a color. They're, guys are recording this color. There's a white mm-hmm. crayon in the box, right? That mm-hmm. It's all color, right? And so it's just, here it is. John, you're an American. I'm an American. Why can't, it, why can't we just leave it at that? Right. Right? And so now we got to start redefining terms. Uh, because if we're talking about we have a race issue in this country, what we're saying is this, is that you have people and you have another category of species within this country, right, uh, that are subhuman or something that's not human. Hmm. Because that's what race is, right? And so, right. It's, so I think it's, so people say the cop out is, well, you, what are you saying? There's one race? Yes, there's one race. When you look at the Bible, the only time you see race mentioned is in Genesis. It's like the first two chapters, you know, mm-hmm. three chapters. After that, everything, people now are being identified by ethnicity right. or faith, right? Right. What they believe in. And so uh, now as a church, we need to start, we need to recapture the terms. We need to recapture terms like evangelical. Mm-hmm. Evangelical doesn't mean somebody who's like in their 50s and 60s and white. Right. It's not what that means. You know, but that's what the news says. But that's it what is. right, right. Mm-hmm. We we allow culture to take things from us, right? And so um, we have to do that. I would say also in the church, we have to actually exhibit or demonstrate what we want the world to see. Hmm. And in John seventeen, Jesus even prays about unity, that we will be one. Mm-hmm. And I preached it before. He could have prayed for anything, but he prayed for oneness in the church. And so. Um, and being one means there's equality demonstrated. And so now, so now we can go back and forth. And this is, I think this is great. When you look at this idea of the body and different gifts in the body, we're always quick to highlight, you know, Pastor John has gifts. You know, Pastor, Pastor Malcolm, he's got gifts. And we praise God for their gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the end, I believe is that the First Corinthians 12, I think, where it talks about the spiritual gifts. At the end of it, it says, and we suffer with each other. We're there. Mm-hmm. For, it get the, it kind of lends itself to think that we're there for one another. Absolutely. Which means if one part of the body suffers, then I suffer. Mm-hmm. So if you're going through it, and I disregard what you're going through, then we're not really equals. I'm really look at you. I'm like, dude, that's you. Mm-hmm. But if I'm saying, no, man, you're my brother. Your problem is now my problem because we're equals. That means I'm not just celebrating your giftedness and hype because there's diverse you right. know, gifts and diverse in the body of Christ. Equality also means I'm sharing life with you. Your joys are my joys. Your hurts are my hurts. 
You know, your pain is my pain. Mm -hmm. That's what made Jesus so unique. Because we have a higher priest that understands what we go, go through because he's been there and he's dwelled among us. He hung out with us. He didn't have to dwell with us to know what we were going through. He's Jesus. He dwelled with us so now that we know that he knows right. what we're going through. Amen. Right? And so I think that kind of equality where we're celebrating life together and we're intentionally living life together, that's what I'm talking about. Not just churches coming together to have a, a worship service. Right. The black and Latino church, the Asian and white church for one Sunday, that's it. No, I'm talking, you know, Sunday to Sunday, we're actually living life together. I think then the church's responsibility is demonstrate equity. If you're in need, I give you resources. Mm -hmm. And not just resources, if you need my influence, whatever influence I have, I use that so that you could be better. Right. And now people will take that, unfortunately, like, oh, that's a form of socialism or welfare. No, it isn't. Because in the Acts 2 church, right, they're not giving up everything. Mm -hmm. They're discerning what the needs are, right? They're, it's actually, they see the need, and then they help. They're just not throwing out money. And oh, they're sharing it. And, it's, and they're sharing it. And it's it. not just one group handing out to the other group. Right. It's a whole it's circle. Love. Right. All the way around. Right. Everyone doing it. Everybody Everyone. gets to eat. Everybody's doing it. Mm -hmm. And so that means, now, if I bless you, right, and you make a come up, right, for those in the audience, come up means now you're thriving, <laughs> you're doing well, right? You're doing well, right? And then you see me down. Then you in turn, you bless mm -hmm. me. And that just happens in the body we of Christ. We raise each other up. We raise each other up. And so I think it's not a, it's not a handout, it's a hand up, mm. you know? And, and, but too often, you know, people want resources they don't want to work for. Right. And they don't want to help anybody else. Again, that goes back to that sin nature. So mm. there's got to be equity demonstrated in the church, equality. But then the last one, man, I love it, is this idea of equanimity. And that means we have to bear with one another each other's faults. Mm. That all of us are messed up. And I think for everybody listening, at some point you got to come to grips that there's some stuff in your life that you don't want anybody to know about that leaks out every now and again that people just get a little glimpse of how you truly are, mm. right? And so I think knowing that, I need to extend grace to everybody mm. because the problem is this. I am an imperfect person, and then I get mad when somebody else who is imperfect hurts me. But shouldn't I expect it? Because they're imperfect. Mm. And if I'm imperfect and you're imperfect, I have to assume at some point you are going to hurt me right? Because only that which is perfect doesn't hurt. Hmm. And imperfection doesn't tolerate imperfection. So now I don't tolerate you and I get mad at you and I leave the church or I do this or I get disgruntled, right? right? Only perfection tolerates imperfection and that's God's perfect, perfect patience. Amen. So I think those are some things that the church needs to be doing because when we demonstrate that and demonstrate that oneness, the Bible says that the world will know that Jesus has been sent by the oneness that we demonstrate. Absolutely, because so, it's so other. Yes. It's so other. Yes. You can't make it up. You can't invent it yourself. Right. And and going back to the, what you're talking about with the handout, when you talk about that, when you see it happen, you say, you know, people want it, maybe not willing to work for it. People want to give it, but are expecting you to do what they want you to do. Right. It's right. the other side of that as well. Right, right. And it's like Christ walking down the street just blessing people. Yep. Just blessing people. And then they, their response is a natural outcome of that. Yeah. And so when we're in that great circle of handing up mm -hmm. for each other, 
that idea of knowing, okay, I'm going to trust that the Lord's going to work with this and I'm going to keep walking with you. I'm not just going to one and done. Right. I'm going to keep walking with you. Right. I'm going to keep helping you and you're going to keep helping me. We're going to keep growing yes. together. Yes. Together. That's, that's that, the, go back, that's that Acts 2, right? Mm-hmm. As they, 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 you know, pay attention to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship and prayer. And so all of that's happening while they're giving of their resources mm-hmm. to one another. Here's the thing. Fellowship is sacrifice. Fellowship is not just, you know, drinking coffee, eating cookies, talking about sports, mm-hmm. hanging out a little bit after church. Fellowship, the true essence of it means I'm with you, ride or die, and mm-hmm. I will sacrifice for you. That's the true essence of fellowship. And you saw that in the New Testament church. But they couldn't have this fellowship without Pentecost. Mm-hmm. You need Pentecost to happen to have that kind of fellowship because that fellowship only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit driven, oh, empowered like all the way. Preach now, man. Amen. <laughs> it's getting into it. It's, it's just so wild to me that we see the history of the American church doing the exact opposite of that. And the first part of it saying, okay, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have the slave owners. They've got their church and they're justifying their practices with scripture. They're, they're making this thing up and justifying it for their own power. But then we're also going to give uh, on those plantations that are giving Bibles and saying, well, you have to become a Christian, but you're going to do it your way. And we're not going to be involved. And then after that, then saying, okay, you're free and you're Americans now, and we're Americans, but we have different churches. Mm-hmm. And so you go start your own church, you preach your way, you do your thing. We're going to stay in our, in our circle. We're gonna we're gonna keep white churches going, mm-hmm. and we're gonna keep that mindset, and we're gonna have. And it's crazy that I mean, this was happening in Atlanta, you know, uh, post Civil War. Elders or deacons, one of the two, standing outside of the church doors, blocking people from getting in who didn't look like them. Yeah. And it's just like, what Bible are you reading, man? Like, what is this? And and that's the history of the American churches. That that's. Yeah. That's alive, and that's still alive in some churches. Yeah. And then you, we get, fast forward 100 years, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. saying famously, one of the most segregated hours in America, 11 to 12 on a Sunday. Yeah. 11 to 12 on a Sunday. And you look uh, at churches now, going 20, 20, 60 years later than that, and we see the veil being torn, and I'm having conversations with with people in churches that I mean, I love how diverse our church is. It is such a strength and a joy to see. But then I'll visit other churches and it doesn't look like that. And I was having a conversation with someone. They said there's nothing that would appeal in our church to someone of color mm. from any spectrum. And I'm like, isn't that an issue? That that there's nothing in yeah. your church that would appeal? Like nothing? Not. What about Jesus? Shouldn't Jesus appeal? Like, what is, what's going on? His name, the pro- what Jesus? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? It's, it, mm. it's what Jesus are we preaching? And so if you're talking Jesus of, of the Bible, then yeah, that's attractive. But if we're talking, you know, a different kind of Jesus, you know, again, just having Jesus, mm. that, that doesn't inspire people. And just peace and joy now, Jesus. And just, yeah, peace and joy now, Jesus. You know, get rich, Jesus. Mm. It's different Jesuses. Prosperity Jesus. They got prosperity Jesus. Just imagine like a mall of just Jesus. <laughs> now. So I'm, like, I'm not sure this one you... works. 
this one will look best on the shelf, so right. I'm going to take this right. one. Right. And so I think you. So the problem is that it's got to be a priority, hmm. right? Having intercultural churches, and not just multicolored churches, hmm. but a true intercultural church, takes a level of intentionality. And so when people are like, well, I'm not sure if there's something in church that would appeal to quote unquote people of color mm-hmm. or colored people, uh, whichever term you want to use, mm-hmm. uh, as we talked about earlier, um, it's 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 just not a priority. So for me, I, and if somebody didn't grow up with the value of diversity, mm-hmm. they're not going to get it. That's not their narrative. And so I try to exercise grace. Because some people grew up in all homogenous environments. Mm-hmm. If you grew up in the black church, you're probably more prone to go to the black church. Same if you're German, you know, Latino, whatever, you, you know, Filipino. It doesn't matter. You'll grow up, you go to that church. That's just mm-hmm. what you're naturally drawn to. We're creatures of comfort. But those who are in Christ are a new creation. Mm. Old things have passed away. All things have become new, right? And so this idea that, yeah, God is, wants to take us out of that to give us something more beautiful, right? To allow us to experience the beauty of his creation. Absolutely. Um, and the diversity of it, diversity mm-hmm. of thought and giftedness and expression, expression and worship and, and art food and, and everything. Everything, everything. <laughs> right? everything. And, and, and I think, you know, people just know it's too much work because I'm going to be uncomfortable. Or it hurts too much. Hurts too much. And I got to give up Because now I've got to acknowledge that I've failed somewhere right. or that my family has failed right. somewhere. And that hurts too much. Right. You don't want to admit. Because if, if you admit that, now you got to admit a bunch of other a stuff. Whole, and, and a I whole tell you thing. What, and it goes back to what you were talking about earlier with the family. There's biblical precedent. Because people will say, well, you know, I'm, uh, I haven't done anything. I've never owned slaves. You know, why should I apologize for my parents or my parents' parents or mm-hmm. my great-grandparents? I, that's not me. We look at Nehemiah chapter 1. When Nehemiah learns that the walls of Jerusalem are burned down and the city is in distress, he goes, and the Bible says, he weeps and he mourns. After that, he goes to a time of prayer and fasting. In his prayer, he literally says to God, like, forgive my forefathers. Hmm. And then he says, forgive me and my father. He's asking for forgiveness of sins of people that he's never met in his right. life. Why? Because he knows the reason why the walls are down is because all of us have messed up. Mm-hmm. From those who have lived and died to my dad and to me. Mm-hmm. We're all complicit in this. And I think until people do that, to really confess it, right? To repent for it, forgiveness can be extended because here's the thing people who've been hurt, have to forgive, right? Mm-hmm. So it can't be, oh, well, thanks for apologizing, but no, I don't want to forgive you. No, we have to forgive unconditionally because once there's repentance, confession and repentance, that tears the wall down. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness now builds it back up. Right. And the church the, the church has to start doing that. Mm-hmm. We got to start confessing as a whole that we've been complicit in this thing. Mm. And maybe not my church, but the churches that have come before me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think there are even some multicultural churches that need to confess and repent that mm-hmm. we're multicultural in attendance, we're monocultural in our expression. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna just leave it at that because yeah. you know I don't want. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's true, and and it also goes back to the idea where you're saying 
I'm not just going to give you a handout and walk away, but I'm going to give you generosity and walk with you. Right. right. We're talking about I'm giving you that hand right. up. When, and then you're a you good steward of it. You're yeah. a good steward of that. that it, what I'm giving you, a good steward of it, so you can bless somebody else. Right. Right. And and then when it comes to forgiveness, with that idea of, of giving forgiveness or giving an apology, you can't just walk away after that. No. You've got to say you got because this is the hard thing when you apologize for horrible sin, and then be like, all right, I'm going to stick around and right. we're going to keep working on this. It's like when you're like walking out of a building and you're like, all right, see you later, and you both start walking toward the same direction. You're like. What do I do now? But I, <laughs> I already said goodbye to you, but we parked right next to, to each, each other, other and it's way over there. And we got to talk. Right? And then we got to keep walking. And so it's yeah. the same idea. Of, if you recognize that and if you can apologize with that, keep walking. Right. Because it gets easier to keep walking. Right. And you keep thing, healing. You keep getting stronger. Yes. You're, you're stronger. There's healing. Trust is built. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that relationship that now has been formed through that process of just confession and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. But it's hard, man. I mean, I get it. Theoretically, it sounds easy. But when I get in an argument with my wife, mm-hmm. and I know I'm wrong, I got to apologize. That's the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. I got to swallow my pride and go apologize. And then for her, no matter how bad she's hurt, she's got to forgive. Mm-hmm. And at that point, if trust has been broken in a particular area, now... We got to work, mm-hmm. or as the offending party, mm-hmm. I have to work to build that trust back up. Absolutely. Right? And, it's just, dude, and that's the issue right now. Um, it's just that nobody wants to admit fault. Mm-hmm. You know, we cast blame on other people. Mm-hmm. Um, how can there be true forgiveness if nobody wants to own up to their mess? And not just own up to it, but like you said, now walk with that person and journey with them mm-hmm. to have some real restoration. Right. Not just acknowledge it in an Instagram post or a Facebook post, right. but to go out and forge friendships right. and to walk alongside real-life people. Right. Not just the digitalized version of people, right? The Which real, is right. very different yeah. than a real-life person. But when you sit down yeah. with someone and you walk beside someone yeah. and you live life with someone, right? and it's, and it's so sad to see that that the American church culturally that we need to be doing that because it's like, man, imagine where we could be if after the civil war, people just gone, man, we were so wrong. Right. And hundreds of thousands of people died in a bitter, bloody war, but man, we were wrong. Let's, right. we need to heal now. Like if we had yeah. had a uh, hundred and you know, 60 years of healing, oh, dude. Whew, yeah. what would be happening now? But the pride, yeah. And then that comes back, and this is beautiful, because so, so often we mistake what Christian humility looks like, mm. right? Where it's like, oh, you have to, like, you have to give up everything. You have to, like, you kind of think of the monks in the medieval age, mm. right? Yeah. Where they're wearing, you know, wood sandals or something, right, getting right. splinters all the time. <laughs> right. They're like, now I'm humble. Right. And it's like, no, it's not, it's not how you see humility. It's the heart's position of humility. Right. I'm saying, I was wrong, or my family was wrong. Right. Forgive us. Yeah. Help us. With the with the desire to want to transform, right? This idea mm-hmm. that I just want I don't want us to be integrated. I want a relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. It's like too many people are pushing for integration. And I think it's great. Mm-hmm. But integration without relationship is really 
segregation with a mask on it. Right. And then, then you're yeah. surprised when the problem shows up. Right. You're like, how did this happen? How did this happen? I don't get it. And, yeah. and going back to, there are two things. The first one being, you look back at uh, when the schools were integrated, the leadership wasn't. Right. Leadership was not, in, right. teachers were not integrated. Dude, most churches. Exactly. The same. It's the same thing. On most churches that are multicultural, multicultural mm-hmm. churches, you look at the leadership, a lot of them aren't, they're not diverse. Right. And and here's the thing, and I, and I get when we say diverse is you have that one person. Mm-hmm. And that church may very well be working towards it, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not trying to knock any churches, you know, at least. The, the Lord knows the heart. The Lord knows. He knows the heart. Yeah. But when you're saying, hey, we want to be a diverse church, but none of your leadership is diverse. Mm-hmm. We got an issue, right? And, but again, you got to recognize that. And you have to be humble enough to receive that that kind of feedback from people. Right. And most some people sometimes we aren't, man. That's just that's the human condition that we're in. 